Kansas Republicans begin to decide who they want to run for the Senate in 2020. And the third district race is on the table as well. I'm Dave Helling of the Stars Editorial Board. Welcome. You are on Deep Background. Well, greetings here on Deep Background for January 29th, 2020, as we head into the political year. I think no one would disagree with that. We've got the Iowa caucuses coming up next week, the New Hampshire primary, uh, elections across the board. And so it's our great pleasure to welcome in Michael Ryan of the Stars Editorial Board. This is a first podcast for you, isn't it, Michael? It is. It's uh, my first time on the Dave Helling Show. Yeah, so thank is, you very much. It is not the Dave Helling Show. It is deep <laughs> background. And my good friend and colleague Derek Donovan is always in the other chair. Well, Michael, thanks for coming. And we wanted to visit with you uh, primarily about what's happening in Kansas this weekend when the Republican Party holds its convention in Topeka. I've covered them before. They're always an interesting, raucous affair. But this year, the stakes may be higher than in most years because of the Senate race that's coming down the pike. Talk to us about this. How important is this weekend, do you think, and do Republicans think, uh, in terms of how that race, the Senate race, is going to play out? It's obviously huge, uh, and the convention is in Olathe. Actually. Oh, it's Olathe. So, yes. There you go. So it's going to be real convenient for yeah, us to go yeah. to. Um, it's interesting that uh, what's, what's going on in Kansas and Georgia seems to signal that for a party that has the White House, unity is going to be problematic this year. Uh, for instance, in Georgia, um, Doug Collins, the congressman, has decided to run against the newly installed senator, Kelly Loeffler, and talking to an official uh, who I know in Atlanta this morning, uh, they thought it was just stupid on so many levels that you would do that to your own party. In Kansas, uh, you've got a Senate seat that has been held in the Republican Party for basically a century, and you have a third district that the party would love to win back. And you've got uh, this weekend, you've got debates, the, the conventions Friday and Saturday, and they skipped Super Bowl Sunday, thank God. Um, and they've got debates in the Senate and third district races, which will be very intriguing. But, you know, the thing is, um, for 2020, and again, a party that has the White House, there is so much intrigue in Kansas right now because of this open Senate seat, because of the uh, retiring Pat Roberts and the third district congressional seat. But you've also got the constitutional amendment that would supposedly be put on the ballot for voters to approve that would allow the legislature to put limits on abortion, which the Kansas Supreme Court said you can't. And the, 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 what the Supreme Court said is that if you do put restrictions, they have to meet the absolute yeah. highest standard of what's called strict yeah. scrutiny. You but, can do it, but it, it's very hard. Basically, the, the court found yeah. a right to abortion. You're correct. In, in, the, the, Kansas, in the Kansas Constitution. Right. And uh, you've also got the Medicaid expansion, which is a very difficult issue among Republicans. There's a tenuous agreement to go forward with it. And the people I talk to think that it's inevitable that there's going to be Medicaid expansion. But there's a lot of intrigue there because you've got some people who are more uh, excited about the constitutional amendment on abortion who are willing to... Uh, vote for Medicaid expansion 
if the people excited about that will vote for the constitutional amendment on abortion. Right. But then you've also got the threat of some of the moderate Republicans being primaried by some of the conservatives in August. So there's a lot going on. Okay, so let's start with the Senate race. And, and, and let me ask you sort of broadly your sense of this. For those who aren't paying a lot of attention, it's Chris Kobach, right, one of the candidates, Roger Marshall, the incumbent congressman, Sue Wagle, who's the uh, pres- president of the Kansas Senate from Wichita, Dave Lenstrom from Johnson County, a couple of other a couple of other candidates who are not considered to be in the first tier. It is uh, by most people. Are the differences between those candidates, among those candidates, Michael, in your view, ideological? Are they about things like Medicaid? Are they about abortion? Or, or are there it, even really that many differences? Or are that many? Di- or is it a stampede to see who can get to the farthest right for the primary? Uh, because that's where the votes are in Kansas. Give your is it, you know how how are Republicans going to sort this out? I think it's more about personalities than ideology at this point. Um, in a room full of ele- elephants this weekend, Chris <laughs> Kobach's going to be the biggest elephant. Why is that? Do you think? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm told even the president of the United States realizes what a weak candidate Chris Kobach can be, even though they had a relationship some time ago. Um, that I, I think that uh, the a lot of people would like to see the field cleared, probably for Marshall. At this point, the polls indicate that it's a dead heat between Kobach and Marshall. Suwego very far down and Dave Lindstrom pretty far down, yeah. too. So uh, there are, I think, some behind-the-scenes efforts to try to clear the field to make it a one-on-one situation because there's a great fear among many Republicans that Chris Kobach has so much support, especially in District 1, the, the right, Western the big Kansas, first. Um, that uh, he may win the nomination and lose the general. But at the end of the day, there is very little light between Roger Marshall and Chris Kobach on the issue. Certainly, they focus on different things. But I imagine if you looked at their voting records, were they both voting in the same uh, in the same elections? That you'd be seeing the same the same votes down the line. Yeah, I think it, that, that both of them have a lot of support among the same people in, in Marshall's right. district. Yeah. So it comes down to personalities and winability. And also, I, there's no question that Kobach has made immigration his signature topic, whereas Roger Marshall, he's a physician, he has not hammered on that. Again, though, I'm sure his voting record would be the same. Yeah, I think that's important to realize that you're really not getting uh, a, a much different product, but the, the packaging is different. You know, and their, their, their demeanors could not be more different, just yeah. oil and water. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the label and the packaging that's different. And uh, there's a lot of angst about what will happen in that race. Yeah, Is there, when you say clear the field, I assume you're referring to Susan Wagle and David Lindstrom and get, you know, Marshall v. Kobach. Is there any attempt that you detect to clear the field of Kobach, to get him to reconsider running? Or Roger Marshall maybe to go back and run for a House seat, which is a safe seat? I mean, some people have sort of already declared for to replace him, but there is an argument to be made that you know, Roger Marshall isn't losing his career. He could simply go back to the big first and clear it for Chris or whomever. Or is it is are the two preferred candidates Roger Marshall and Chris? Cole? Well, I think Marshall is probably the favorite of a lot of Republicans in the know and in leadership. 
So I don't think he's going anywhere uh, out of the Senate yeah, race. Yeah. Let's explain why Roger Marshall is so popular. The, that, that seat has traditionally gone to the big first candidate, uh, you know, Pat Roberts, who's leaving. Right. He was the big first guy for many years. The big first is an agricultural district, and it takes up three-fourths of Kansas. And the assumption is that you need at least one of your two. Bob Dole was from the big first. I mean, there's some sense that that, that seat is is at, at least sort of nominally for the for the first district congressman and Chris Kobach doesn't have a natural base like that no and, and the first district is the base of the Republican base in Kansas so Not Johnson County so much anymore yeah used oh. to be Johnson County right but now that may be changing a bit so I don't think there's going to be any effort to get Marshall out of the race but he's vacating a nice congressional seat that could be a natural for a Chris Kobach. And, but there's no indication that Chris Kobach wants to run for the House no. or have any... For, I mean, he... And, and he's certainly not someone who is amenable to getting out of any race. I mean, he, you know, he's not going to listen to anyone, one assumes. Well, maybe not. Uh, maybe not in Kansas. Uh, but there may be... There may be... I mean, there, talking about not, the president, obviously, who has had some conversations with Roger Marshall and, and Chris. Yes, Cole. and I'm not privy to those and conversations. None of us is. This is just speculation. Yeah. But the speculation is that the congressional first district could be another prize for Chris Kobach if he was so disposed. Yeah. Will the picture begin to become more clear after the weekend convention in Olathe? One would hope so if you're Republican Party faithful. Um, you really, you know, and especially when the president is going to have a tough reelection uh, slog, uh, you really want to get unified as a party. And so this, uh, this weekend is an opportunity to start that process. But again, as I indicated, there are people and issues, uh, in Kansas especially, that are going to make that tricky. One thing that I thought was awfully telling was last year, uh, Roger Marshall, as congressman, wrote an op-ed for us in The Star where he was saying that his constituents in the first district are starting to, his agricultural constituents are getting very um, tense about the tariffs. Um, you know, Kansas being a huge Milo, uh, market a huge soybean market, and these are some and, of the and beef and beef and pork, beef and pork in, some, right. in some ways exactly. Yes. But and, and the Milo in particular has been one of the probably the biggest agricultural success in Kansas over the past decade because opening up to the uh, Chinese markets, they saw people buying um, Milo sorghum who had never bought it before. They were mm -hmm. at an all time high. They are now down uh, back down to getting the same prices at the elevator they got before that boom. And so uh, Roger Marshall, it was very significant. He broke with the president and said, "You have got to take care of this." He has not taking care of that. As a matter of fact, he's digging back in on it. Do you think there's any chance that's going to start uh, flipping some of that solid, solid support that the president's got? I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, I do think that the trade situation uh, has a, a lot of opportunity to change. And I don't think that uh, folks out in the first district are going to vote for an Elizabeth Warren, say. Um, I, you know, it, it's been amazing to watch how uh, dedicated the support for Trump has been yep. in areas like the first district, and not just in Kansas, but also around the Midwest. Right. So the, the you know, I'm not problem sure for going. Donald Trump is the third district, where yeah. where Kevin Yoder lost in 2018 by six points right. to someone you would not have anticipated uh, having strength. Uh, you know, it's suburban, and let's just be frank, suburban women are, that are the biggest challenge, perhaps, for the Republicans. Which is again why I think people are a little worried about Chris Kobach. 
because of how he performed in Johnson County in the governor's race against Laura Kelly. Chris Kobach basically tied Laura Kelly in every county in the state except for Johnson County. That's where he lost the race, and there's some fear that that would happen again. And back when uh, Barry Grissom was in the race, uh, polls indicated that Kobach trailed him by 10 points. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very problematic. And yeah. I've been told that Kobach's vulnerability is not uh, unnoticed in Washington. Correct. And, and, and that's also curious, too, because I think that certainly Dave and I agree that Barry Grissom was not a strong candidate anyway. It's, it's not as though you know he's somebody who's yeah. going to walk away. And it was quite early in the race. I mean, the, we'll at some point deal with the Democratic side, which apparently they are clearing the field for Barb. Boyer, but in you know, I think there is a sense, is there not? The Republicans believe that they need to get their ducks in a row pretty quickly. So before we leave the Senate race, two questions. Talk to us a little bit about Sue Wagle. She, you know, nominally you would think she would be very competitive, a woman, state senate president, well known statewide, and yet she seems to have not uh, and competitive. She's running an ad now. I mean, she's. And yet, that doesn't seem to be getting traction. And then the ghost of Mike Pompeo. Talk about that a little bit, Michael. Doesn't that hover still over this conversation a little bit? Yes, indeed it does. Um, and I think it will continue to hover as long as uh, Chris Kobach and his candidacy are considered to be a real threat for the nomination. Um, the decision doesn't have to be made till June. You know, who's getting in where. Right. And I think there's going to be a lot of stuff happening between now and June. Although, let's just be, June is not that far away. I mean, now, if Mike Pompeo waits till June and needs to start raising money and organizing and do and doing all the other things that a Senate candidate has to do, it's going to be more difficult than it would be if he gets in now or at some point. And he's been pretty emphatic that he doesn't want to get in. But what I think what you're suggesting is there are still some Republicans who sort of hope that might happen. Well, and as I as I wrote in a column last fall, uh, this is again this is a seat that has been held in the party for about a century. Do you really want to take a risk of losing it? Yeah. And and to be honest with you, Chris Kobach is a roll of the dice. And uh, you know I, I'm not sure uh, that folks you know if it's not clear if the race isn't clearing up by May late April or, or May, then there's going to be another tug at Mike Pompeo because right. you don't want to take a risk. Right. That this would be, if, if the Republicans lost this Senate seat, it would be heard around the nation. That's a cataclysmic for the party, no question it about would it. Be, red Kansas voted for Trump yeah. you know, by 20 points. Um, but is there any huge. sense that people think that Mike Pompeo is a flawed candidate, given what's happened in Washington, his late his late decision making, his you know repeated uh, claim that he's not interested in the seat, he doesn't want to run. Doesn't that make his candidacy a bit more problematic? Certainly not as problematic as Chris Kobach, yeah. but but certainly not a slam dunk. I would say, just speaking personally, yeah. that uh, from my observations, he might be viewed as a flawed human being, but not necessarily all that flawed yeah. a candidate because. Right. He is still very much loved in Republican circles here yeah, in Kansas. Yeah, and of course he had some history as a House member from the Wichita area. And a row, and a row with NPR is not going to hurt yeah, him. Yeah, in no Western question Kansas. about it. Um, talk to us about Sue Wagle. Sue Wagle, um, you know, to be honest with you, Sue Wagle and Dave Lindstrom, and 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 it's a shame because they're both uh, really solid candidates. 
Uh, are, and by the way, one from Wichita, which is one of the population mm-hmm. centers of Kansas, and the other from Johnson County, which is the population center. For whatever reason, that that seems to be a bit of a of a drawback for yeah, some. Yeah, but Dave Lindstrom in Johnson County, the Johnson yeah. County Commissioner, is very well thought of. Right. Former chief, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that part of it is there, too. Yeah, but heading into the state convention uh, this Friday and Saturday, um, uh, Wagle and Lindstrom are more and more being viewed as afterthoughts, uh, which, I, again, I think is a shame. They just, um, you know, in, in terms of name recognition, Lindstrom just, right, I don't know there. if he can get over Well, that. why hasn't Sue Wagle done better? Do you have a sense of that at all? I really don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it just if you looked at it on a blackboard, you would go, well, certainly, again, as a woman, you know, and Kansas has a has a history of electing women, mm-hmm. uh, even on the Republican side. And so that would have been an interesting race. Yes. If it's not going to happen. Yes. Between her and, and Barb. And so, you would really think if you were a conservative Republican voter in Kansas in the big one, that in the big first, that you would see Susan Wagle as a continuum of Pat Roberts sort of demeanor and what I mean, he nobody questions sue wagle's conservative approach right, exactly. and, no and but here's the deal um and she may be and this is just me speaking yeah. she may be the opposite of pompeo she may be a not terribly flawed person but not a great candidate either on and explain why you think that might be well i mean there was chatter on the radio this morning about uh her ads not hitting the mark her yeah. early ads yeah. are really uh attacking you know the Washington Democrats, right? When and socialism and all that other stuff. When yeah. y- your opponent right now is Kansas Republicans, so right? That, that is an approach that has worked for for Republicans in Missouri and Kansas. In, in the yeah, 10, and years. I would also say that um, it, it, uh, you know it does suggest that that ad and the upcoming weekend convention does suggest that if Sue Wagle wants to remain a viable part of this discussion, she needs to be pretty aggressive. I mean, does it, yeah. she's made that decision that if she's to have any chance at all, she's really got to separate herself from the field yeah. or has no chance at all. Well, and I think uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. The, the senatorial debate is at 1030 on Saturday morning. And, oh, by the way, I've asked the uh, Republican Party leadership if there's still opportunities for uh, rank-and-file party faithful to show up plunk down $75 and come in. Come and I think there probably is. I haven't re- received a response yet. But um, the, the thing about Susan Wagle's candidacy is uh, I think Roger Marshall's in the way. Yeah. Uh, Marshall is is um, obviously coming from that big first district. Uh, he's a credible congressman. Uh, he's He's got money. And I think she's running up against that yeah. more than anything. Does, does, we'll, we'll move on from the Senate race, and I want to talk a little bit about the 3rd District race, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating as well. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to kansascity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. 
that's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to kansascity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Does Chris Kobach enjoy any sort of home field advantage at the convention, in your view, um, Michael, because he's kind of from around here, whereas Roger Marshall is, again, the first district, Western Kansas. His supporters from that district are going to have to travel some distance to get to this convention. I mean, there is, there's always a sense that campaign organization also plays a role in events like this. Can you get your supporters there? Can they have the signs? Do you have a table where you can pass out literature? Any sense that it, it, Chris Kobach has an advantage there because it's closer to his his neck of the woods? I don't think so yeah, at all, yeah. no. In um, fact, the opposite might be arguably yeah. the case. That's the big knock on Chris Kobach is the blocking and tackling of uh, one of the knocks on him is that he doesn't pay as much attention as perhaps he should or his people should to the blocking and tackling of politics, which is setting up your table, handing out your leaflets, registering your voters, understanding where your voters are, he, it, raising money. All of that seems less important somehow to Chris. Well, and... and ha, or has seemed less important. Yeah, and again, this is just a personal yeah. observation, but notwithstanding our current president of the United States, uh, personal charm means something still. Yes. I mean, Barack Obama exuded personal Correct. charm. I think Pete Buttigieg just exudes personal Correct. charm, and I think he's moving up yes. in the polls. So, you know, I, I, that retail uh, politics matters. matters. Still matters. And, uh, and it particularly matters at a place like Olathe for the Republican convention where you're shaking hands, and there's some... If you hear more cheers for Roger Marshall than you hear for Chris Kobach, that in some ways is instructive about the way Chris runs campaigns. And just in a subjective way, I would say mm -hmm. among the three we've been talking about, Susan Wagle has the most of that to me um, when you see her engaging with people. Uh, to me, much more than Roger Marshall right. does. She just hasn't been able to transfer it in she some hasn't. ways she hasn't to, to polling support, which we may see this weekend. You know, well, the state convention, though, is, is a little bit like some of the candidate forums I've attended over the years, the local ones right. especially, because if you have a candidate forum at the local public library, three quarters or more of the audience are partisans. I mean, they're already Correct. connected to a candidate. Correct. So that may be the case uh, with the state convention. Right. I mean, you're already going to have allegiances. Of well, right. And of course, if you're a, a, a you know an exemplary candidate, you've you've contacted your supporters. Be at this convention. Right. I need your help. I need to have a show of force. And again, I think it'll be fascinating to see if Chris has learned any lessons from the governor's race in terms of what I call the blocking and tackling of politics or yes. not. Yes, and and Kobach's strength has not been, as you know, has not been uh, schmoozing with, or hobnobbing right. with his fellow Republican wizards. His strength is the grassroots. Right. The, the populist appeals that he well, makes. Well, he, in, in fact, has criticized the Republican establishment mm -hmm. in some ways. I mean, his whole candidacy is a critique of that. It's his defeat to Laura Kelly that I think haunts some members of the party Absolutely. and will do so this weekend. Okay, let's move quickly. We're about out of time to the second district primary uh, involving the Republicans who think they have a chance to unseat Sharice Davids, the Democrat third one. District. There's three, right. The third district. The third, yes. uh, did I right. say third? Second. Yep. Second. I meant third, of course. Uh -huh. Tell me about it. Very intriguing race. I can't wait for the debate. That comes uh, Friday afternoon. Very high-quality Republican candidates. <laughs> Very attractive candidates uh, in a political sense. I'm not talking about appearance. Uh -huh. 
very attractive candidates, very on, on equal footing with each other in different ways, um, and uh, you know, all striving to take on a very popular and strong incumbent Democrat in Sharice Davids. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what each candidate, each of the three candidates, tries to get done in this debate. Oh, name the candidates for us. It's Adrian Foster, right? Right. And then you got uh, Amanda. Oh, oh, uh, Amanda. We'll have to figure that out later. We'll, we'll get back to that. But yeah. the three candidates are... are yeah. Uh, yeah, Sarah Hart Weir. Yeah. Amanda Adkins. Adkins. And Why did I say Hall? I have no idea. Yeah. I was on another this is why program. I'm in print. I was right. I was on another program the other day, and the same sort of mind cramp went on. <laughs> in part because, to defend, you know, sort of our approach, th- th- these folks are working very hard at the grassroots, but not really in a public way yet. We'll mm-hmm. know their names, you know, over and over by yeah. by the time of the primary. Yeah. But they all have different constituencies, and they all think they could uh, take on Sharice David's correct. Yes. And and. The, the traditional wisdom is that a member of Congress is most vulnerable in his or her first re-election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, of course, Sarah Hart Weir is a former uh, head of the uh, National Down Syndrome right. uh, Society, and uh, Amanda Adkins is an executive on loan from Cerner. Cerner. Some questions there, but those seems to have been addressed in some Right, ways. and there will be some intrigue as to whether uh, Adkins is um, looked at differently because of her ties to Sam Brownback, who left office as not a, a terribly popular governor. Right. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see who shakes how out. How do we, how do the can how do Kansas Republicans in the third district separate those candidates? Are they looking for electability first? Are there ideological differences? Is it mods versus cons, based on what you know now, Michael? And and d- is there a sense in the party that the third district has changed in a dramatic way? I mean, the idea that, that Sharice Davids could beat Kevin Yoder would have been unfathomable a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Now, I've since talked to, with Yoder about it, and he thinks it's more cyclical than I do. He thinks, well, you know, you had Dennis Moore, and then you had, you know, so it goes up and down. Others would argue it's a more fundamental change in the third district, yeah, suburban the, women, education, all those other things. Dennis Moore's time in office is a very different era. Yeah. So, so do Republicans have a realistic expectation they can be competitive in the third, or? I think absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and part of that is that Sharice uh, Davids, the incumbent, is such a closed book on so many issues. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, what's going to come into focus this weekend is what lane those three Republican candidates are going to be trying to right. drive in. Uh, Amanda Adkins is, it seems to me, you know, you tell me if you think differently, seems to me to be a more establishment sort Um and, That's uh, my impression. Sarah Hart Weir is a real f- conservative firebrand, right? A, a real big fan of the president. Uh, Adrian Foster, I think, is probably closer to Sarah yeah. Hart Weir. I, I, I see that, that exactly the same way. And what will be fascinating this weekend is whether those candidates feel the need to ameliorate their sort of conservative approaches based on an expectation that running against Sharice Davids, a Trump-like figure would be in more trouble than someone more moderate in that district, or whether they go full board to the right to win the nomination and then 
face a bit of a difficulty coming back to the center. That's a calculation you have to make as a voter, yes, uh, but also as uh, campaign functionaries. Um, I don't know. It just seems to me that um, unity. uh, It's again going back to what we talked about at the beginning. For a party that has the White House, unity, especially in Kansas, is a particularly thorny issue right now. And the third district is a real good uh, picture of that because you've got three good candidates running against the incumbent Democrat. Um, it, it would be better if we could have gotten behind as a party. Right. If one if could have gotten behind one as, as the Democrats have. In Barbara Bollier. Right. And remembering, too, that in 2018, Kevin Yoder was running very much as an untrumpy Republican. He did not, by any means, for his Well, voter. his biggest struggle was, am I a Trumpy Republican or not a Trumpy Correct. Republican? And he tried to, in he that tried that to walk that line. And uh, I think his experience suggests that what Michael's talking about is very true that a Republican to you know to have a chance in the third will have to run a perfect campaign in some ways because mm-hmm. of the changes in the third and a three-way primary with three equally you know qualified candidates may make it harder to run a, a perfect campaign in yes the fall. and we'll and, see. and, mean, and just playing Democrat now yeah. in the district uh, we're looking at the the Republican race and saying okay have at it each other, you know, and and, and hoping it gets bloody here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's very intriguing what's going to be. Yeah. Let me wrap this up by a little personal anecdote. And again, uh, thank you, Michael, so much for being here, and Derek, of course. You mentioned the Georgia situation at the top of the podcast, which I think is fascinating. Doug Collins, a member of the House, now running for a Senate seat. That is Loeffler. Is that how you pronounce Kay Kelly Loeffler? Mm-hmm. Who just Kelly Loeffler? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Just just appointed. In 1996, Bob Dole left the Senate to run for president, and Bill Graves, who was by any calculation a moderate Republican, nominated Sheila Fromm, uh, his sec- uh, in his cabinet. I think she was Secretary of Agriculture, to take the Dole seat. And, and it was an election year, and so the assumption was that she would run for a full six-year term, and life would be fine. Sam Brownback pulled a Doug Collins by saying, no, I'm in the House, but I want that seat. I'm running it to the consternation, I must say, of the regular leadership of the party, including Bob Dole, who was then the presidential candidate, but also Bill Graves and others. And Sam Brownback sort of said, as I believe Doug Collins is saying now, sorry. (laughs) I mean, these seats don't come open very often, and I'm more qualified than Sheila Fromm. And, of course, Brownback, the history is that Brownback just killed her in the primary and, of course, went on to a Senate career. And we've got different dynamics today, post-Me Too. Uh, The dynamic in Georgia, for instance, one of the dynamics in Georgia right now is here's this guy in Congress taking on this this woman who just got into the Senate being appointed by the governor. And so it could be a real turnoff for a lot of female Republicans in Georgia. Right. And that... That's exactly right. I th- and that may be one of the most important, interesting stories in, in politics, in my mind, in the last 10 or 15 years. And that is the, 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 what we used to call the gender gap, but the movement of women away from, not all women, obviously, but suburban women into at least considering Democratic candidates is a fascinating uh, phenomenon. And really, Sam Brownback wasn't punished for that at all in 96 
people didn't go around saying, boy, you're, you're treating Sheila Fromm bad because she's a woman. They were mad at him for, you know, sort of cutting in line and wait your turn. And, and of course, it led to the amazing reality that Sam Brownback was the senior senator while Pat Roberts was the junior senator, uh-huh. which... I know for a fact caused uh, some friction between the two offices since Pat had been in Washington since 1980. But it does show you that whatever the transitory concerns might be in Georgia or any state, you know, from the viewpoint of history later, it's probably not as, you know, aggressively frightening as it is maybe in Georgia today. I don't yeah, know. and the fact that there are three very credible female candidates for the third district in Kansas uh, this year on the Republican side is a very good thing for the party. No question about it, and good for Kansas, frankly. Yeah. And, and for you know, there will be, and I think, Derek, you've talked about this, there are probably more similarities among Sue Wagle, Roger Marshall, and Chris Kobach than there are differences. But their approaches are different, and, and, and it is good for Kansas and Kansas Republicans to make a choice. And, and I, think that that I think in many ways, this is going to be a test of what demeanor Kansans are looking for in a politician, maybe more than anything else. Right. And whether or not, and this will be the most fascinating thing, and I think we'll get some, some evidence of this this weekend, whether Chris Kobach learned any lessons from 2018 and, you know, turns down his burner from a white-hot 10 <laughs> yep. to a 6 or a 7. I don't get the I don't anticipate him doing that. He's just not in his character and and presumably might he might conclude would cost him some votes on some, you know, on the far right. And again, he's an but, he's but, an elephant in a room full of elephants no, this weekend. No question about it. All right. Michael Ryan, so uh, thank you so much for coming by the podcast and giving you us your views. And we'll get together again here in a couple weeks and get your you're going out there on Saturday, you'll have some judgment. Uh, uh, going forward. And by then, I hope I will learn all three candidates in the third district on the <laughs> Republican side, and uh, at least, you know, so I can read them off. And Derek Donovan, my good friend and co-host here on the podcast, thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Helling. You've been on Deep Background. Deep Background.